Grab your Bibles if you would. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we end this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, closing the Blessed Life series, I want to talk today about how this uncommon life that we've been talking about the last few weeks gives us an uncommon purpose in life. This uncommon life gives us an uncommon uh, purpose. And so we discovered in week one that the central theme of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching his disciples what kingdom life looks like. So when we by faith come to faith, when by faith respond to Jesus, trust him as our Lord and Savior, enter into this new life in him, there is a different life that we're going to live. And so Jesus is explaining to us what life looks like in his kingdom. You may be asking the question, what is the kingdom of heaven or what is the kingdom of God? Well, the word kingdom here in this passage of scripture is a basilia. It's the, it's the a Greek word that literally means to rule or reign or a king that governs. And so the whole idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is simply God's rule and God's reign. So when we come into a relationship with Jesus, here's what that means. It means that Jesus becomes our king because Jesus is ushering in God's rule and reign on earth. And as we respond to the gospel, Jesus becomes our king. We then become citizens of his kingdom. And now we live distinctly different from the rest of the people in this world because we belong to a new country, a new nation, we're a new people. And what Jesus is doing is just unpacking for us the radical transformation that the gospel produces in our life. I'll summarize it like this. John Stott, great scholar, says this. He says, the Sermon on the Mount deals with the radical nature of the king ruling in the life of kingdom citizens. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And so we've learned about this life over the last several weeks of what it looks like to have the attributes of Jesus, this clothing that we are to put on called the Beatitudes. And what I want us to see this morning in this section we're going to look at is what happens in our life when we look like Jesus. What happens? How does God use us in this world when we walk in these attributes, when we look like Jesus? So Matthew chapter five, start reading in verse number 13. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So these verses, verses 13 through 16, are the tail end of this dialogue that Jesus has in the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount where he unpacks these beatitudes, these attributes of God. And it's no accident that Jesus concludes that section with these words because what Jesus wants us to see is simply this is that when we live like Jesus in the world, when we assume the posture of kingdom citizenship in this world, Jesus gives us a new purpose in life, that he's gonna use us in a way that we never imagined. I think purpose is important. In fact, I would say purpose is one of the most powerful things in all the world. Like all of us need purpose. When we don't have purpose, there's really no reason to live, right? And so, so many people in our culture, the three basic fundamental questions of life are being asked by all of us at some point in our life. Three basic questions. What are they? First of all, who am I? Number two, why am I here? And number three, what am I supposed to do with my life? I think all of us at one point in our life, whether we asked it like that or not, we're asking those basic human questions. 
Who am I? Like, and what, why, why am I even here? And is what I'm doing with my life really making a difference? Does it really matter? What am I supposed to be doing with this thing called life? Well, here's what I love. Jesus answers this question for us. Jesus is going to show us very clearly our mission as his citizens, which gives us a very clear purpose. And what I love about the purpose Jesus gives us, see, many of us, we're trying to find purpose in all the wrong places. Like, like we're trying to find purpose and maybe finding it in our career. If I can just do this for a living and feel like maybe it's even like building an empire of your own, like, like a company or something. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing that because, man, this is my purpose in life, what happens when the economy crashes? Maybe it's not that. It's maybe I want to go and just be a benevolent person and go work and make a difference in the world. Well, what, what happens when this world is over if what you've been doing with your life doesn't make a difference when this life is over? For some of you, it's relationships and social status. You're trying to find purpose in that. But here's what I love about Jesus's purpose for us. His purpose transcends space and time and our circumstances and our situations. So his purpose for our life is an eternal purpose. So the greatest way we can answer this question of who am I and why am I here and was what am I supposed to be doing with my life is to listen to what Jesus has to say about it. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you three phrases that we can glean from this passage. Three phrases that help us understand how we can live out Jesus's purpose for our life as citizens, this uncommon purpose. If you're taking notes, write this first one down. The first way that we experience this uncommon purpose is this. You need to embrace your kingdom identity. It's by embracing your kingdom identity. I love what Jesus does here. He says this at the very beginning of this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He, he begins this conclusion of this section by saying, you are. This is a statement of identity. Jesus is helping us understand who we are so that we would know why we're here. And he simply says this, you are the salt of the earth. And I, lo I love this because it's, it's present, um, active indicative here. This, this you are, and why is that important? So Jesus is not saying you could be, you might be, you will be. If all the things work out and you clean your act up, this will happen in your life. No, no, no. He's saying if you're mine, you right now in this moment, you are are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is who you are in this moment. The salt of the earth. You say, what is Jesus' point? What's his point in this? Well, Jesus is using two word pictures to paint one picture. Two word pictures to, to give really one central message. And that is, you are difference makers in this world. Like you, you, you are agents of change in culture. You say, what do you mean? Well, salt and light, think about it for a moment. Salt and light are both change agents. Salt, whenever it touches something, it changes whatever it touches, does it not? The salt has a transforming power to it. Light is the same way. If a room is dark and you turn on light, what happens? Does the darkness consume the light? The answer is no. Light always drives out darkness. When light enters the equation, things change. And this is the point Jesus is making. Just think about this for a minute. You are the salt of the earth. What does he mean? Well, salt in Jesus's day was a very valuable uh, commodity. We take it for granted today because we can get it at any store at any moment we want. But for, for Jesus's culture, it was, there was no refrigeration. So the primary purpose of salt was to not necessarily flavor your food, but was rather to purify and to preserve 
And so it became a very valuable, in fact, it was so valuable that oftentimes people would be paid with salt. So have you ever heard of the, the cliche or the phrase, well, that, that guy ain't worth his salt. It basically is saying there's not worth his pay because salt oftentimes was used as a way of, of paying someone for labor that they have done. And Jesus is using this analogy to simply say this, you are the purifying, preserving agents that I have placed in a dying and decaying world so that I might redeem and restore it. That we are to affect culture and society that is in moral decay and decline. That he has placed his people on the earth for the purpose of preservation so that he might redeem creation back to himself. And then he says, light, light enables us to see, light drives out darkness. Without light, what happens? We aimlessly walk through the dark with no sense of direction. And Jesus is using this metaphor to paint a picture of who we are to be for the world, that we are the light of the world. We are to shine the glory of Jesus through our lives so that the world who is living in darkness might have hope rather than walking aimlessly through life, that in the midst of darkness, they might see us get a glimpse of the light of the glory of Jesus and too might move from darkness into light. This is who we are. I love what he does here. So when he says, you are, I told you it was present, active, indicative, which means you are right now. But there's more to this phrase than we see in the English language. This is a very emphatic phrase in the Greek language. So what I mean by that, Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And by the way, it's plural. So Jesus was saying, y'all are the, right? He's been a great East Texan, right? What is the point here? Why is it emphatic? Jesus is saying, you, you, my disciples, those of you sitting right here in front, you, if you're a follower, you and no one else is the salt of the earth. So don't miss this. Jesus is saying, this is our identity. Jesus is saying, my followers, citizens of my kingdom, you have an identity that no one else in the world has. And that is you and only you are the salt of the earth. You are the purifying preserving power, representing me on planet earth. You and no one else, you are the light of the world in this dark world. You see, there's a lot of great organizations. There's a lot of good things that are happening all over the world with different uh, systems and, and giving programs and things like that. Now, those are all awesome. But listen, there's no one who's been given the title of being the salt in the earth and the light of the world other than the church of Jesus Christ. That we, we are the salt of the earth. You know why the world is not worse than it is? Like we would, we would, we would all agree that this world is, is morally in decline and decaying. Would we not? Nod your head if you're with me. You, you know this world is a dark place and it's becoming darker, right? Like, do you know why it's not more morally decaying or in decline or more dark than it is? I'll tell you why. The church of Jesus Christ is why because we are advancing the kingdom of God, that we are the salt of the earth. We are preserving and we are purifying and we are ushering in the gospel that rescues humanity from darkness and brings them into the light. We are the light that gives hope to the world. This is who we are. And no one else gets that distinction other than us. How great is that? And see, here's why I wanna focus on this so strongly is because some of you, when you hear those two words, you are, you default to the lies of the enemy 
are the words of man that the enemy wants to remind you of. So when you hear you are, some of you hear you are a failure. You are worthless. You are insignificant. You are defined by your past. And all of us have those experiences. I've had those experiences. I'll never forget, I've shared this with you before, one of the worst experiences I've ever had when I was, I think, 16 years old. It marked me for over a decade and a half. Uh, one of my pastors, I'd gotten in some trouble, looked me straight in the eye, and he said, you are nothing. You will never amount to anything. God could never use someone like you. You are is powerful. And those two words in my life haunted me for over a decade and a half until Jesus spoke a better you are over me. So if that's you in the room, I want you to know, listen, listen, you are not who your mom and daddy told you you were. You are not who that person, whoever, what they said to you that's haunting you. You are not your failures. You are not worthless. You are who Jesus says you are. And Jesus says you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's who Jesus says you are. And this is transforming. And this is powerful. Now, we also need to recognize how absolutely ridiculous this is. Like, because some of you, if I'm not careful, you're gonna be like, you bet I am. I am the salt of the earth. You're welcome. I'm the light of the world. Look at this light, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it, and you got a strut, and you're, you're like, you know what I'm talking about? So let me just remind you, without Jesus, we are all those things. So just think about how ridiculous this would have been for Jesus on that day. Jesus has got a big crowd around him, and he's got like 12 ragtag like rejected by religion, rejected by culture, confused theologically, not really understanding what life is all about. And they're sitting there and Jesus goes, you are the salt of the earth. You are the difference makers. You are the light of the world. In other words, you are my plan A to redeem this world. How ridiculous is that? Apart from Jesus, it is ridiculous. But when Jesus steps into the equation and lives inside of us, Though we are none of those things in and of ourselves, we become now the salt of the earth, not because I have something in me. I have Jesus in me, and that makes all the difference in the world. I love this. Do you realize that the church of Jesus is God's plan A to save the world? This is who we are. We need to come to that understanding. We embrace our kingdom identity if we're going to live a life of purpose. Here's number two. Number two, you need to recognize your kingdom assignment. Recognize your kingdom Assignment. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world, a city, a city, say this word, set. Everybody say set. All right. A city set. Everybody say set again, because that was bad. Thank you very much. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and everybody say put, put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. So this put or place in some of your translations would have read like this and, and put it under a basket, but they place it or put it on a stand. Now, why is this important? Jesus is using these words set, put, place, and these words imply strategic location, strategic placement. In the ancient days, you don't just go out there and build a city in the middle of nowhere for no reason. 
No, no, no. You look at where the trade routes are and where its location is to other cities and, and the distances. And then you find a location that's on a hill so it can be protected from their enemy and be seen in the distance at night by those who might travel. And when Jesus says a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, why? It was never meant to be hidden, but rather to be seen. So it was strategically located where it was for a specific purpose. The same way for an oil lamp. This is what Jesus is describing. Most houses were one room houses and there was only one light. So this oil lamp had a strategic location in the house that when they lit it, they would place it in that location because in that location, it gave maximum light to everyone in the house. And Jesus is saying, in your life, here's what you need to know. You are the city set on a hill. You are the light that is set in a, on a stand in its right location to give maximum light. And this is important because many of us forget that God has a purpose for our life and his purpose for us is found exactly where we are. I want you to hear me say this. Jesus has strategically placed you where you are because that's the place that he wants you to shine the light of the gospel. He's placed you where you are. And some of you are like, man, how can I make a difference? Like, I don't know how I can make a difference. I'm just a you know, whatever teacher at whatever elementary school in town. I just, I mean, I've got just little kids and I'm trying to manage a classroom all day. I got this distance learning thing. I don't know how in the world. I'm like, man, I, I'm a coach, but I'm not coach at a big school. I'm not even the head coach. I'm just a coach on the team. Like, I don't know how I'm going to evoke change in anything. Some of you may be thinking, I just, I just work in an office and, and man, we have this product and I make a good living and I'm probably high up on the organizational chart, but I just don't see how doing what I'm doing can make a big impact on the world. I'm just a some of you are like, I'm just, a, I just work, I'm an administrator in an office complex. I just respond to emails and I just don't see myself being useful. Listen to me, eyes right here just for a minute. You've got to get rid of the thoughts of you're just a. You're not just a. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And God of the universe has strategically placed you in the spot you're in because it's in that location that he wants to shine the light of the gospel through your life. You're not just a. You are strategically located where God has you for his divine purpose. And you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, I get it. Okay, so I'm here, but how am I going to be a world changer from this location? Like, I don't know how I'm going to change the world. So let me give you the secret sauce of changing the world. You ready? Don't write this down. You're going to remember. Stop thinking about changing the world and just decide to change the room. My mentor, Barry Woods, spoke this word over a few of us on a mission trip, talking about the life of Jesus. You don't change the world by changing the world. You change the world one room at a time. So if you'd spend less focus on changing the world and just change the room you're in. Like when you enter the room, salt and light are entering the room. You're an agent of change. So you're ushering into whatever room you're in, you're ushering in the power of the gospel at work in your life. And this is how the world has changed, one room at a time. Think about this. Just think about some of the silly placement God places us sometimes. Philip, in the, in the Bible, he was the first de one of the first group of deacons you see in the book of Acts. He is in the middle of a revival. He preached this message as a lay leader in the church, and, and like thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus. In fact, the, the revival is so powerful that the other apostles were coming. Like, what is happening? In the middle of that revival, God moves Philip to a desert, it's a desert place, goes this, this obscure road, nobody wants to travel, and nobody around except for one guy, we don't even know his name, he's just known as the Ethiopian. 
who happens to be traveling by. And so Philip finds himself in a room he would have never chosen on some desert road and a chariot's coming by with some guy that nobody knows his name. And Philip steps onto the chariot, gets into the room, shares the gospel with this man. And history tells us that this Ethiopian became the first one to proclaim the gospel in the continent of Africa. You don't know who's in the room that God's placing you in. And I would say this, whoever's in that room, they matter to him, therefore they should matter to you. Therefore that room you should own. It should matter to you. So listen, it, it, could it be that you're in that office with those people? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't wanna be here. I don't wanna be at this office. I don't wanna work at this place. I wanna leave this place because everybody here, they don't know Jesus and they drive me crazy. It's hard to be a Christian in this environment and I just wanna get out and go do something else. Could it be? God's placed you there because in that dark place, he has the light of the gospel gonna shine through you. Could it be that that coworker, you know what I'm talking about, the coworker that you're faking the phone call every time you walk by their desk? Or is it just me? Am I, is this the only place? I felt like this was a safe place. I thought I was gonna share that, okay? Maybe I'm the only one. And you're just dodging, man. You're just like, I don't, I don't want, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. Okay, he's, he's seeing, what's up? Uh, I'm sorry, I'll get back with you later. You know what I'm talking about, that guy. You're like, I don't know that guy. You might be the guy that everybody's doing it to. Um, could it be that God has placed that guy in your life because you're the salt of the earth to him or to her? The light of the world. Could it be that God placed you in that classroom, school teacher, with that kid? You know what I'm talking about? You're a teacher, you know that kid. Some of you are like, I know, that kid's mine. <laughs> Could it be that, that God is gonna use you in that kid's life? And that it's no accident that all, everything that led you to that moment, to that semester, with that subject, with that kid and that family, eternity's gonna change in that room. We've got to start seeing our life if we're gonna live on purpose through this strategic placement of where God has put us. Now listen to this phrase, don't miss this. We must resist the temptation of overlooking our present opportunities because we are looking for greater ones down the road. The greatest opportunities in your life are the ones currently in front of you. And listen, Jesus was the master at this. Jesus was the master. He was the best room changer ever. You notice that most of the great events that we read about and we celebrate in the life of Jesus happened on the way to somewhere else. You know what I'm talking about? So Jesus was heading toward this and all of a sudden there's like five stories of what he did on the way. And you're like, wait, I thought you were going here. Yes, he was going there, but he did not miss the rooms along the way. So there might be a destination in your future of where God is leading you, but you're not there yet. So whatever he puts in front of you, that's where you're supposed to be in the moment. So Jesus was the master. One of my favorite, favorite stories was in Luke chapter 19. It says that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, this is important because this was the trip to Jerusalem where Jesus was gonna go and die for the sins of the world. Like, like yeah, that was his agenda. And in that moment, that was his assignment. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm gonna die on a cross. I'm gonna resurrect so that the world can be saved. That's the mission God has sent me. That's why I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, how many of you would think that's a high priority on the calling scale? Like somebody asks you, what are you doing today? Like, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping to, you know, kind of run in and be nice to this guy and 
Yes, Jesus is like, oh, I'm just gonna go save the world from their sins. I'm gonna die and resurrect. Like, so notice this. He's going to Jerusalem, but it says that on the way, he stops in Jericho. Why would he stop in Jericho? This is more important than Jericho because there was a blind man there that everybody forgot. And he needed to see. And Jesus said, he matters, so I'm not gonna miss the room. There was a tax collector named Zacchaeus that everyone wrote off. You're just a, is the label. And Jesus said, he matters to me. So on the way to greatness, Jesus stopped for the mundane. And here's what I've discovered. The mundane is where the ministry is. It's on the way to the thing that the thing happens. And we've got to live with this kind of focus, changing the room that we're in. And why do we live like this? Jesus gives us an answer. Luke records this, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Why did Jesus live like this? Why? Because the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. There was no greater calling, no greater agenda. So every single assignment that he got, he understood the room. And in that room, somebody needs to know who he is. And so he took time in the rooms that he entered into. So listen to me, church. You might be in the boardroom or the classroom. You might be the CEO or the janitor. You might be the teacher. Listen, you might be the student. You might manage the company. You might own the company. It doesn't matter. Whatever room you're in, here's the admonishment. Change the room. Embrace your identity. Recognize your kingdom assignment and change the room. Here's number three. The final phrase of experiencing this purpose is this. You need to engage the kingdom agenda engage the kingdom agenda. Look what he says in verse 16. I love this. He says, in the same way. Now stop there for a minute. In the same what? In what way? Well, in the way that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, in a way that a lamp is placed on a stand, this is what your life, in that way, seizing the opportunity, let your light shine before others so that, that's purpose statement, here's the reason behind it, listen closely, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says, let your light so shine before others they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, when the life of Jesus is lived in you, his glory shines through you. So the kingdom agenda is simply this. It's the glory of Jesus and the advancement of the kingdom. So let me just summarize your purpose. Say, I, you talked about purpose, give me the purpose. Here it is, and it's very simple. Eyes right here just for a moment. You exist, you have been placed on planet Earth. You have been created by the creator of the universe. You have been redeemed by the blood of Christ for this singular purpose, to know Jesus and make Jesus known to the world. That's the reason you exist. It's not to build an empire. It's not to build a kingdom. It's not to create some sort of a happy life of comfort and ease. It's not to create anything other than to live your life, to know Jesus and to make him known. That's the kingdom agenda. And this demands, church, this demands that the life of Jesus becomes our life. This is where the life of, a, of making a difference really takes place. 
Because apart from Jesus's purpose for our life, our lives become meaningless. Now, some of you, that didn't set well. Because you're like, I'm not living in that agenda. Are you saying that my life is meaningless? Let me just tell you Jesus's words. If salt loses its saltiness, how can its salt be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be cast out and trampled under the feet of people. What Jesus is saying, when salt stops being salty, which simply means it was defiled or diluted by other minerals or other things that have entered the equation. It's defiled or diluted. When salt no longer has its preserving, purifying power, its existence is meaningless and insignificant. This is why we must not let the world defile and dilute our gospel witness. The same is true for a light. He says, look, he is silly. Everybody I think would have chuckled when he said this. He goes, no one would light a lamp and put it under a basket. Why? Because why would you waste the oil? Why would you even light? If you're going to cover the light up, why would you light the light? And Jesus is using kind of a silly metaphor and everyone would have been like, who would do that? And that was his point. A light is meant to shine, not to be covered up. If you're going to cover it up, then don't light it at all. Why? Because it's meaningless and purposeless if it's covered up. And this is the point Jesus is making. If the light of the gospel is in us, why would we allow the world and the things of the world to cover the light? We've been redeemed for this purpose. And so if we want to live a life of meaning and and purpose and experience this whole idea of knowing Jesus and making him known, here's what we've got to do. We've got to protect our heart with the gospel from anything that would lead us to an ineffective life. Listen, when we protect our hearts with the gospel, it means that the purifying, preserving, light-giving power of Jesus is on display in us. And when we live like this, the purpose for which we have been saved and created is being lived out. That fires me up. This is what we should be longing for with our lives. I love, I love what he says. Notice what he says. He, says what, he shows us what this looks like. Like, how do we live this way? He says, in the same way, in verse 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to you because you're an awesome person. Is that what he says? They may see your good works. When they see your good works, they look past you and they see the one in you. Say, what good works? What are the good works that allows the world to see Jesus in me? Don't make this harder than it is. What has Jesus been talking about the entire Sermon on the Mount? The righteousness of Jesus being lived out in us. So when the world, the good works are, when the world sees us walking in a poverty of spirit, a humble way, when we are truly longing for holiness so much that we grieve over our own brokenness and sin, therefore we're honest and authentic with the world about our failures. Whenever we live with this sense of, I wanna submit to God's kingship in my life, whenever we understand that I need more of his righteousness and I'm gonna submit myself fully to him, whenever we have this meekness toward the world and we offer forgiveness to those who don't deserve it, whenever we love our enemy and we pray for those who persecute us, whenever we share what we have with others with no strings attached, whenever we, when we're told to, to go one mile and we don't wanna go mile, one mile and it's not fair to go one mile, we go, no, no, I'm gonna go two miles. When we live like that, you will 
look strange in the world. So simply put, what is the good works? It's the, it's the life of the kingdom being lived in you. It's the righteousness of Jesus being manifested through your life, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you have the ability then, when they see your good works, you can then point them to your Father who is in heaven. So in other words, when they see the light in you, you point them to the source of light. Let me explain that. So when Jesus says you are the light of the world, he doesn't necessarily mean you are the source of the light of the world. You're not the source of the light of the world. You are bearers of the source of the light of the world. Let me illustrate it like this. Let me ask this scientific question, answer it for me. Does the moon have a source of light in and of itself? Yes or no? No. But does the, does the moon shine light at night? What's the answer? Yes. Why? Because the radiant glory of the sun shines on the moon. In the darkness of night, that which does not have source of life in and of itself reflects the light of the sun so that night we can see. That's why I love when I think about this, oftentimes we we have a hard time, if we live in a community, in a city, we have a hard time thinking about the, the brightness of the moon and the darkness of night. But I don't know if you've ever been to South or West Texas. Um, in the middle of nowhere, where there's no cities for miles and miles away. I know I love to deer hunt and we get out early in the morning and I love it because it's like, I remember the first time I sat up there, I was like, the stars are bright and big at night. I, this is amazing. Like whoever wrote that is brilliant. Why? And here's what the answer is. The darker the night, the brighter the light. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And even more than that, I've not only seen a moon lit night, I've seen a full moon lit night in South Texas. And what is amazing about this is that the brightness of it, it feels like daytime. Have you ever been there? Why does it feel like daytime? Because when a full moon is visible, here's what you know about the moon. The full face of the moon is experiencing the full face of the sun. And when the full face of the moon is exposed to the full face of the sun, it lights up the night with a glow that makes the night look like day. You are the light of the world. And so here's what that means for you. You turn your face toward the source of light, which is Jesus. You turn your face toward the sun. And you live your life with your life focused on the sun. It's about Jesus, it's about his glory, it's about his name. I have nothing in me apart from you. So I want the world to see you in me. Therefore, I'm gonna gaze at you. And as your glory shines on me, it's through me to the world. And by the way, this world is dark and it's getting darker and darker and darker. And listen, you should not lose hope or be discouraged as followers of Jesus because the truth is still remaining. The darker the night, the brighter the light. So it might be getting darker and darker and darker in culture, which means the light of the gospel is getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And I believe we, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity in front of us in the current culture we are in to be a beacon of hope 
to shine the light of the gospel so that the glory of Jesus might be seen in the midst of the chaos and the controversy and all of the turmoil. It is getting dark in the culture, which means we've got the opportunity to shine the light of the gospel brighter than ever before. Now is the time. Now is the time. New Beginnings Baptist Church, God has strategically placed us in the East Texas area. I don't think we're here by accident. I don't think Gilmer is in Gilmer by accident. God has strategically placed us. Why? Because we got to know who we are. We are the light of the world. We are, we are the salt of the earth. And he has placed us here so that his agenda might be accomplished in the greater East Texas area. You know what I love about this is that that just doesn't happen on Sundays. Because we are the church. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's not just this building. We are. That means that the salt and light of New Beginnings Baptist Church, all week long, we are in coffee shops. We are in restaurants. We are in office complexes. We are in operating rooms. We are in courthouses. We are all over this city shining the light of the gospel. And I believe right now God has given our church a platform in this season and this culture. And I know we hate 2020 and we want 2020 to be gone. But listen, there is an opportunity in front of us. We need to recognize we're in the 2020 room. So let's change the room. Let's let God use us in ways he could never use us before. And let's change the culture. Let's change the room. This is why for the city Sunday is such an important day for our church. You say, why? What's the deal with for the city Sunday? If you don't know what it's about. Next Sunday, we're not gonna have church in this room. We're gonna have church all over East Texas. We're gonna gather up here for prayer at eight o'clock in the morning. And then 57 projects all over East Texas. We are going to shine the light of the gospel. We are going to be the purifying, preserving power of the salt of Jesus here on the earth. And we're gonna see men and women have conversation with boys and girls serving our city so that they might see the hope and help that's found in Jesus. You say, man, I'm just gonna build something. No, 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 you're not just gonna. We've already talked about that. You're just gonna swing that hammer and every time it pounds that nail, there's the light of Jesus being on display. I'm just gonna go lead a block party. No, he's not gonna lead a block party. You're gonna serve a, a cotton candy, some kid. You're gonna give him something that's gonna kill his body. In the midst of it, you're gonna shine the light of Jesus, right? So listen, what would it look like in this culture, in this climate that we're in right now for 2,000 people to say, it ain't about us. It's about the agenda of the kingdom and we're running after that. Think about the gospel impact that could be made. Listen, I believe God has a purpose for our life. And he has something in front of each and every one of you as individuals and then us collectively as the church of Jesus. And I believe now is the time for new beginnings to get our eyes off us, on Jesus, and shine his light onto the world. So here's what we're gonna do. I want us to take a moment and pray. And I'm gonna call us to a time of corporate prayer because what we're talking about is gonna require a couple of things. The first and the greatest and the most important is this, it's gonna require the power of God being displayed in our lives. 
Holy Spirit of God pouring himself on us. Not just for For the City Sunday, but just for, for our lives in general as the people of God wanting to be room changers for his kingdom. But it's also when God's power falls on your life, his spirit, he, he begins to change areas of your life. And so it's gotta be a submission, submission to that change. And then it requires a sensitivity that whatever room we walk in, we hear his voice and we know what to say and what to do and how to respond and what the interaction should look like in order for the gospel message to be shared and enter the equation. So the point is this, I want us this morning for a few minutes to turn our face toward the sun so that he might invade our space. So here's how this is gonna work. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads right now. And I'm gonna give you just a couple of moments to prepare your heart. I mean, I wanna prepare for prayer. I wanna prepare for prayer. There's a phrase I've used years ago here. I just said, you need to pray until you pray. There are times where we just ramble things to the Lord. And then there's moments where our heart, the spirit of God moves us to call on his name in desperation. And I want that to be reality for us. So I want you to take a few moments right now, just prepare your heart for prayer. And then I'm gonna pray over you. And when I say amen, I'm gonna invite everyone who is physically able to come and kneel, get in the aisle, assume a posture of desperation. You're physically unable, it might just be to sit at your seat or to get out of your seat and kneel at your chair. But I'm calling us to, to actively respond physically to this as a declaration of God, I, we are desperate for you. You see this throughout the entire Old Testament. A posture of body reflects and helps and aids the posture of the heart. So prepare your heart for this. I'm gonna pray over you in just a moment. Father, I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would move in this place. That you would give us a sense of desperation for you. This purpose that you've given us, we are incapable of doing. But not, not with your spirit, not with your power. What is impossible with man is possible with you. Forgive us for our lack of humility. Forgive us of our unwillingness to humble ourselves before you. God, we want to be the light of the world. We want to be the salt of the earth. This is who we are. God, I, I want us, Lord, to know your power and your strength to enable us to live in this purpose. See you work in our midst. So God, I'm asking now, you would move in this time of prayer in Jesus' holy name.